0: Welcome to the Between the Ears podcast. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Michael Blevins from Nonprofit. And there's really no succinct way that I can tell you exactly what we talked about. Um, Probably because it won't make sense, just like chapter style. And yet, I think that that's very true and authentic with... um, who Michael is and how he is and, and, and myself as well. And it was just the two of us, Kay wasn't on this one. Um, we talk about a bunch of stuff and ironically enough, none of it really has anything to do with our, our businesses directly, but it kind of has everything to do with how we approach what we're creating and what Michael is creating with nonprofit are, they have an online program the space program they have a, a a brick and mortar gym in salt lake city that i attended um, a symposium they do events in october and you know their tagline is the, philis, uh, the the philosophy of effort and i certainly don't want to reduce what nonprofit is nor reduce what the only thing that michael does is is explore this but it really that that really rings true with us and that really resonates So buckle your seatbelts. Michael's, like I said, a wealth of information, an awesome dude. I I thoroughly enjoyed having this. I enjoyed, we, I think, enjoyed having this conversation. So I hope you, I hope you do as well. And it's a wild one for sure. So if you want to check out Nonprofit, their website is nonprofit. That's P-R-O-P-H-E-T dot media. They're on Instagram, Michael's Grit and Teeth on Instagram. And um yeah, man, just a just a cool conversation, bunch of different stuff. Uh I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having it. So here it is. Corey, Michael, what's going on, man? Good to see you.
1: You too, man. Uh, it's been—you were here a year ago, correct? Year? I was, was there
0: in October. Yeah, October. Oh, okay, symposium. so
1: almost it. Okay, so a couple months. Uh, yeah, it's—I yeah. uh, was—it was—it was good to watch you work and get to know you, and then find out that you're doing all of this good work as well. So it was a pleasure to have you come into our space, and I'm, I'm glad to see that it's blossomed into something more than just me yelling philosophy at you while you're training hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is, and so for people who are like, what the hell are you talking about? Michael Blevins, nonprofit, um, you, Mark Twy, who's, who's the nonprofit team? Like never quite sure. What's the official roster there?
1: I mean, officially it's me and Mark. Um, And obviously Aaron in the background, you know, helping with everything. Um, And now we have, Uh, apprentice uh, Lucas Cornish and we have a assistant coach Devin who and that's kind of like that makes up the gym side of it Uh, and other than that uh, we have help from Berkey from station 515 but you know he'll do some writing for us he'll come out and help teach some of the symposiums and then as far as uh, the programming athletic side of it goes our online program the space program I have myself Keegan Dillon Mark Twight, uh, Aaron will sometimes write for it. Uh, uh, James Ellis, uh, there's a host of people that kind of pop in and out. Uh, who's been consistent for the past six months, which I'm really excited about, is Andrew Tracy out of the UK. He's a writer for uh, Men's uh, Fitness UK. He does a phenomenal job about bridging this gap, uh, kind of like separating the fitness industry and making it a little bit more applicable to like, I would hate to say blue collar, but like the you know, middle class who might not be affiliated with sports. And so, kind of like health and well being, and probably one of the biggest demographics that I see is missing good information. So, it, he does this amazing job on the space program about taking these like insanely weird ideas and kind mm-hmm. of distilling it down so that the average person is like, oh man, I never thought of that. You know, when people think about doing a workout, they're so often like, what exercise? what duration, and am I, am I going to get yoked? You know, that's like, basically what's going on. And he's feeding that need. Like, you know, there's definitely like a sense of work accomplishment in it, but in it, he just loves to put these like Zen Cohen style. Hey, have you thought about your breath while you're running? And you're like, it's just like Mm -hmm. very good awareness stuff. And so I've been really excited to have him on. We've had a host of really good coaches, Paul warrior, uh, Elodie, uh, Elosaurus on Instagram. Uh, we, we've had like kind of a whole bunch of people come in and help us build this thing out. Now it's kind of like a insane, I, I would say library of knowledge and, in, in training concepts and ideas. So uh, that's kind of the, you know, the, the basis for nonprofit is me and Mark and then we elicit help from anybody <laughs> who will help us.
0: Yeah. What, um what, so where did the name, if you don't mind sharing, like nonprofit, oh. where did it, where did it come from? <laughs> uh,
1: just a deep sense of irony, I think. Uh, so, I, this is kind of how it always goes. Uh, Mark and I, we were kind of over the fitness stuff, and I mean, like, we're still fitnessing, but like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to start a fitness brand. I, I didn't think that's what we had been doing. Like, I, I really saw that the work that we did. And movie projects and military projects was was based off of kind of teaching people, you know, for lack of a better term, just philosophy and, and meaning. Yeah. And so it, it became kind of a different thing. But uh, we didn't want to do movie jobs anymore. So we we're really looking to basically just like do what we wanted, which was talk about concepts. Uh, so we rented an office and we we're like, oh, let's do a podcast. And uh, we, we did the podcast and we started recording. It took us like six months to kind of like, you know, test. We didn't put anything out. Uh, we were recording episodes kind of all the time, but also having these conversations about what we should do. And we we're talking about publishing zines, just like ridiculous stuff. Maybe we should publish a book. Maybe we should write a book. Uh, we we started on a book actually originally. I should bring this poster over, but I have it pinned on my uh, dart board over there. Um, we're like, let's just. And I, it was my idea, but I was kind of like, Mark, I'm so sick of people. Talking about the work that you've done, I was talking about him. Uh, I didn't really care about people talking about the work that I've done, uh, but I was like, you should just write a quick book talk about you know movie training and military and get this shit out of the way and we can move on and it'll sell like crazy. And he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's write that. And I was like, no, 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 no. I said that you should write it. And he goes, no, we should. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. So we started this project without a name, without a business, without anything. And we started writing this book and we had really like high aspirations. We we're like, oh, fucking publishers are going to eat this up. We've got intimate knowledge of Hollywood. We've got all these insane stories from training celebrities. And uh, we've done these massive transformations on like some of the world's I don't know like A-list celebrities basically. And you're like, it's not what I want to talk about, though. And so I, I know we're really like pitching this so that we can get our own thing going. And uh, in the middle of this thing, we're like, oh, in order to actually launch a podcast, you need an LLC or you need some kind of business name. And we're, t- we're like throwing around concepts like call it Defy, you know, call it like I just like the most ridiculous names that were tough and like made a sound. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And I was like, we just need a placeholder. And I've been playing with this funny, it was literally a joke, a play on a double entendre. And I made this poster kind of, I was playing with vectors at the time in, in, uh, illustrator. And I had kind of the Che Guevara, uh, like vector. And I like gave him gold teeth and I put like, you know, follow a prophet and it was with an F. Uh, and I was like, oh man, it would be funny if we call it a nonprofit, and it was with a PH. And I was like, let's just call our business that. It's just the LLC. We can do a DBA later. We'll do, you know, we'll change it obviously because that's a ridiculous name. And so we launched it as that and then we called the podcast Dissect because we were, you know, dissecting problems and cultural issues. And I, I don't know what happened, but it just stuck. And it was yeah. like ridiculous because literally all we do is tell people what's going to happen and what they should do about it. And so to claim that we are non-profiteering is kind of a joke because that's literally, it's just irony. Uh, and now I have to live with it because it, get, it gets deep. It gets even weirder than that. Uh, I don't know how weird you want to get, but I- we can get as weird I as you we
0: need to. Weird is good. <laughs> all,
1: right, all right. So i I fall into these states of consciousness, generally okay. what most people would describe as a flow state when they start to write. Right, like mm-hmm. everybody, they call it the muse. Writers will go for walks so they can like get these neurochemicals going. You know, if you want to induce a flow state, I think uh, Stephen Kotler talks about like there you know go for a 5k, uh, smoke a you know a, a couple hits of a joint that has like uh sativa blend THC in it or something, and then have like 65 milligrams of coffee. You're like wake and bake, drink some coffee, go for a run. And you've started all the neurochemistry responsible for flow state. Well, when I get into these flow states, I'm highly productive, but I don't control it. So like, I can't control what I'm writing about. And a lot of the stuff that I start writing about is like very weird, esoteric, semi pseudo, I don't, I would even call it, you know, in the hermetic tradition, this is like called being an oracle where you don't Like I've never read about this stuff. I just have these concepts that come through. I'll start writing about it. Anyway, I went to go talk to some weird shaman lady about it because I was kind of freaked out. Like I, I would like pull over to the side of the road and I would kind of come back to, and I would have pages and pages. One time I wrote on the side of the road in one nonstop blurb, 3000 words for, uh, it was kind of like a guided meditation that became our guided meditation that I'm using now for our breath workshops. Wow. and i've never edited it i've never even tried to edit it it's just it is what it is and i have no idea where it came from but it's a, essentially a story of you know leaving your body cleansing yourself by passing through the earth and coming into the core of what i would call the earth's big power and your big power removing your egocentricism and then rising back through like a filtration system up above the earth to get a you know uh you know, twenty thousand foot view, forty thousand foot view of kind of the cosmos and the feeling of being connected to everything and then having that earth pull you back down into your body. And and all of this was in kind of a trance state. So I, I started asking this shaman lady, uh, who is really wild. She never she knows your name and that's basically it. And she she like goes off for an hour or two and I guess she's consulting the i guess you'd call it the akashic records i i told wow. you it's weird so i'm warning okay. you but yeah. she came back she knew my genealogy she understood my heritage she knew where my family was from she knew things about me that nobody could possibly know and i was and one of the things that she said she's like you you keep calling it uh you keep calling it like uh I guess, performance of an oracle because these you don't know where these words come from. She's like, but they are you. You can trust. You can trust this like sense of yourself. She's like, but technically it's your seventh generation ancestor that was you. And he was Norwegian and he grew up in this town. And he was also uh, what people would call a prophet. And I was like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, do you realize I own a company called Nonprofit? And she just started laughing hysterically. And she goes, do you know what's funny? Like one of the things I got is that your your life is defined by irony. Like whenever you can find a deep sense of irony, you'll actually enjoy that process because you love Paradox. And I was like, okay. oh my God. Okay. So that, <laughs> that's a that's a long journey of the name into the company and kind of the weird shit that we're into <laughs> so man, that's kind of where it. it stemmed from
0: it's i mean <clears throat> it, it reminds me of kind of what people refer to when you know having like maybe like a psilocybin journey or a psychedelic experience of like the download where it's not yeah. like this you know manufactured um kind of like one level of the mind but this Net like just sort of like oh it's there I'm just kind of pulling it down and experiencing it and then just being like the the antenna to then transmit through.
1: Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I and I should say like most of these are are most of most of the experiences that I have are uh, they're lucid and sober states, but not all yeah. of them. Um, sure. and that, that res and maybe I opened up something when I started using substances like that. Um, I don't use as many anymore, but originally I got deep into maybe like six or seven years ago, I got really into trying to understand psychedelic use and that led to like quite a lot of development, just not even just emotionally, but professionally, like how, how i think about you know our industry that we're involved in and the the very close approximation that we have between like movement as medicine and therapy and process and kind of all of these things that people might look to substances in order to pull out and they might be interested in it because they hear somebody had epiphanies and like divine experiences or and i think it you know, the language changes, but it's all kind of the same concept. I think we all kind of understand like, no, 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 no. This is not information that I had in my brain and now I'm saying it and that doesn't make any sense. I would say to get out of the metaphysical or supernatural sense of it, it is, it is you, um, It's just the same thing with like having this conversation, but it's like magnified. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say next, Mm -hmm. but something coordinates in my brain based off of a subject or a word that you say and ideas start to flow. And I think the more you open up that channel, the better you get at it. And Mm -hmm. the more connections you're making between your experiences and your ideas and your feelings and your thoughts and all of this stuff kind of like coalesces into maybe a written piece or an artistic piece or a musical piece. Uh, I never realized until I started learning music that this was the process for learning music, that that some of the best artists in the world. And it's not that it's not work, you know, like when you're actually composing music you're sitting down and you're work. You're doing hard work every day. You know you're you're listening to notes and chord progressions and tones and different keys, and you're harmonizing with that, and you're coming up with different rhythms. But eventually, something will spark, and maybe it's a word, maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's a paragraph, and then a song will start to form, and then you will broaden and out. But the song doesn't actually exist. And from what I've learned from music teachers that teach me and people that have respected kind of in this, in the same vein is they, they will never attribute their songs to their own creation. They think about it as a revelation. They're revealing an intricate part of the universe and maybe putting it together for other people, but they inherently think about it as like a download, like, Oh, something is transmitting and I'm picking up on that signal and I'm playing it for people And this, this becomes kind of a responsibility for people as musicians is like i i'm made i've trained very hard just so i can receive and then also give this transmission which i think is profound because it maps on to what i respect about mathematics and in the difference in like when people uh, get into highline mathematics they don't ever say that they invented it right like nobody invented a formula or Euler's proof or any of these like really sound philosophical mathematical proofs. People will always refer to it as I discovered it, as I like, it was already part of the universe. I just unmasked it. And so I think that goes, A, it takes your ego out of it, which is a huge part in the creative processes, is, is removing a deep sense of self and arrogance out of the, out of the way so that you can reveal what the universe kind of wants you to do. Or, you know, maybe that sounds a little bit too esoteric for people, but there's some kind of thing there that I think is important. Um, In in no matter what the subject, whether you're talking about healing or you're talking about athletics, there is this, I don't know, different stages of recognizing yourself in the world. And um, that's a lot of what I think we do and talk about is kind of the, bigger subjects are related to this, but it's also, there's nowhere to talk about it. And that becomes what people think is, maybe that's what people are attracted to our thing is they come into a symposium and we're talking about ideas and concepts that aren't exactly being shared at, you know, a workroom break table or even a family dinner table or, you know, our dinner table is a little bit different, but I go to a family dinner and like, man, this is like the most superficial you talking about you know, politics and Ukraine and, you know, whatever the COVID or like, whatever these kind of like you, you notice immediately like, Oh, that's why the media is powerful because they control mm-hmm. people's conversations. You know, not mm-hmm. that it's bad or we shouldn't know what's going on in the world, but man, if, if that's what most of your conversations about, you're missing a big piece. And I think what we've done is, is go, man, people want to have these, they don't have it open space to talk about them. And I'm not going to say it's safe because it's definitely not a safe space, but we do treat conversation like a sandbox, right? Like build your idea out of sand and let other people step on it and don't get hurt by it. Understand that it wasn't a good concept to begin with or let other people build onto your idea and let it topple over or whatever. And that, that's kind of the metaphor that I think of pretty much all ideas is, they're not good until other people try to destroy them.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's kind of the center of how we work.
0: Yeah. It's interesting in that sort of like relating it back to the fitness industry too, which, you know, I think we share many of the same, just like uh, frustrations with, to put it mildly, <laughs> but like in a world where everyone owns something, it's like, It's like, that's mine. Like I was talking actually with messaging a little bit with Andrew Tracy about this. And I was like, yeah, it's really cool to see you people, you know, Michael nonprofit, all these like dudes or gals and people who are like together uniquely differently, but similarly, and not this, not this incessant need to piss on every single fire hydrant you see. (laughs) Be like, Oh, that's like, right on like there's plenty of fire hydrants to go around and they serve the purpose of like when needed you know pools together almost like a mycelial like network where like hey where's they're, they're they're connected but it's not so you know like no this is the limit of my boundary or my border or this is like what i own and i guess that's one of the things that i appreciated at symposium was it was a conversation. It was a discussion. It was an exploration. It wasn't like a, a dogmatic, um, you know, overly defensive proving situation, but also not weak in the sense of like, if challenged, unable to be like, well, actually like this is kind of, there was a vibrancy to the entire event and the entire experience, which I think shows the you know, the, not only the effect of the signal that it reaches people that they can process and, and then relate back to, um, but also can, can change if that, if that makes sense with different environments or different people, different kind of resonances.
1: Yeah. I've always liked, I've always really liked this term and I can't remember where I originally held it, but it's like strong opinions held loosely. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you come and discuss, I will fight tooth and nail but not to prove my point, but to understand my my own view a little bit better. And I think I you know I dug up this article from 2016 that I'd written, and it was it was funny because reading it, I was talking about using argument as a way to help you better understand your own ideas, basically like steel manning your own ideas. No other right. no other intention in a debate. And the utility I found in it is a I detach. From my identity in this idea, right? I go above it, and I go, yeah, yeah. This is the idea I'm taking part. And when they make points about where the idea is weak or why it doesn't hold up, if if you have a good debate, what I would call a good debate partner, I would I would argue that um, I would argue that it gives you the opportunity to refine it very, very well, and gives you opportunity to shift yourself. And it's funny because at the time that I wrote it, I thought totally differently about the world. So I'm reading about myself, talking about how to change yourself and also knowing that I'm this is before I made very drastic changes to my ideas. And so what I saw is, is like this is the soil that I planted a bunch of seeds in and I had no idea what was going to get grown. And it's almost like coming back and looking at like a deep, intense jungle and realizing that at one point you had dropped all these seeds and that nothing but i mean not nothing but an insane amount of like positivity came out of that thing and so it's kind of i reposted it just because it wasn't written very well it's not my favorite piece but it really spoke to something that i believe in is the exchange of ideas and the only mm. way that happens is if you're not defending them if that makes sense um it
0: does Yeah,
1: I could I'm trying to think like politically it could be very interesting. Like I am very like socially liberal and I'm pretty fiscally conservative. Like I think it's a pretty I think freedom of choice is probably the most important aspect, but it's not a single issue because obviously like some regulation comes in somewhere. So fairly down the middle. But I I would entertain the idea of voting one way or another for an extreme politician. You know, like I can, I can kind of see why somebody would vote for this person or that person. I wildly disagree, but I also am totally interested in hearing why people might, because it gives me a, the first thing is that most people do not think very deeply about their opinions. Yes. <laughs> and second, yes. maybe I'll learn something like there's, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about, you know, we went through, you know, this kind of four years of Trump. And it was interesting because, man, I did not understand why people liked him. Like I didn't, I couldn't understand it. I was having a really hard time. And then it kind of dawned on me that it has nothing to do with what he's actually saying. It has to do with how he's saying it. It's like an energy in his his communication style. And it's something that I don't resonate with, because it hits me and I go oh that's factually incorrect or he's lying or it's this and I make statements about this that or the other but I'm not getting the feel you know when somebody can lie to you straight up but you get a feeling that they mean well right they're right. on my side and that's right. the tra- and as soon as I understood that I could let go of any of the disbelief and I could move on I'm not angry about it I'm not whatever not that I was angry about it before but you know, I always thought it was kind of funny. It was too reality TV for us.
0: But it is kind of amazing with that too, where it's like this, this, this dude who was, you know, elected or whatever. Um, and like, he was like a giant, I, I view that situation almost like he was like this enormous scratching of an itch that people have. <laughs> But like when you scratch an itch, you see you're breaking your skin like you're hurting yourself but man yeah. the proof of the scratch and it's like and that's when I think back to those years I'm like, oh my god, that was how people were just like really itchy and it, here he it comes. Yeah. It's this scratch
1: of the itch that's and then a, I
0: kind of think yeah. about where else those are and you know just all of the other, not to say I have anything really figured out more than anybody else, but when you (laughs) see something with maybe like we talk about this difference between like a filter and a lens where, you know, the filter sort of changes everything, but the lens provides wide, narrow, whatever different ways of seeing it, depending upon what you're sort of looking to see. It's kind of like, Oh, I can't now unsee that or just go back to the filter where, I see everything distorted in the same.
1: I, I this can kind of bring us back to the the subject of psychedelics, because I think this is, you know, admittedly one of the benefits and to like full uh, discretion. I don't think that anybody should do them. I don't recommend them. Um, I also, you know, if I don't condone them, I don't condemn them. I think they're, They're very interesting for very specific people, but those people will know and then they can figure it out. So I have to like start with that because I'm super not into the, you know, uh, the advertising and marketing of substances to people that you don't know. But Mm -hmm. I have to say that like their use uh, down the scientific realm is almost disgusting to me. Like it's like very off-putting to try to um, reduce and explain and come up with chemical concentrations and reactions in the brain that are, uh, you know, supposed to be representative of your experience. And I'll leave it at that because what it—if I could explain it to anybody—is like what what you're able to do is get that view that you're talking about, right? Like a substance can, you know, you can call it ego death or whatever. There's lots of different names, but there is a consistent experience that is too consistent to to not be noticeable. And one of them is that you have this kind of subjective experience to an objective perspective, right? Which is to look at yourself from kind of above yourself and see how your actions or behaviors play out. And I think that is probably one of the most useful cases. So when people ask when they're like, because they'll run into the same conundrum, what they're trying to do is, you know, take it down to the molecule. This this molecule does this and it alleviates, you know, the default mode network in the brain and this is why it works. And you go, cool. It doesn't really matter. Um, but in the end, it, it's really not that. If if anything, you could just destri- describe it subjectively in, in these deep experiences and they can go south for sure. I think the reason they're useful is because they're inherently dangerous. Uh, like there there's inherently risk with it, which means there is some reward, but that you have to assess that out for yourself. But essentially, what I can feel from the experiences is is that, uh, and they used to say this a while ago, like taking psychedelics is like taking the elevator up, you know, instead of the stairs or whatever. And I would agree with that, but I would also disagree. I would say you have potential in you as a human being. And the hard work that you do is walking the stairs. You're, You're talking about controlling, managing your state, becoming more aware of yourself through every activity that you can possibly think of that's that's essentially you know spoiler alert that's what our entire business is about is teaching people to become more aware of themselves and others and what you become aware of is that there's there's nothing that i can do about anybody else i can only become aware of myself and modify myself which is a very stoic zen whatever but if i do that hard work over consistent years uh different Different religious uh, practices get you there. Different athletic endeavors can get you there. The amount of enlightened bike racers that I've met is uncanny. There's just something about doing hard work for hours and hours a day for decades that gets you to this brain, where, this, this part in your brain where you can access this higher view. And so in, that's the hard work. What psychedelics do is they kind of slingshot you up to your potential right? They kind of like in a passing five, six hour experience, you're kind of looking at what is possible if you're willing to do the work, but you are going to crash back down to where you are. It didn't fix anything. It just gave you a glimpse of what's possible. And that, I don't know how that is not helpful. It might be one of the most helpful things ever. Like if, if there was, I don't know, do you have any goals, like any like physical goals, any career goals for yourself? Yeah, I, I be mean, lofty, like, yeah, throw me a lofty yeah. one. Give me give me something good.
0: Okay. Um, well, I'll go on the physical side, I would actually like to do an Ironman. Mostly because I, I don't really know how to swim. Ooh, so okay, good. Current, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Swim. Yeah.
1: Okay. So imagine for a second, that and in a, in, a, in a psychedelic experience, or it could just be you know a state change of consciousness, maybe it's through breath work or whatever, you were able to see yourself in the midst of this uh, experience, right? You, you could imagine yourself finishing, or you saw it directly, so directly, and there's a difference here. It's not a vision as much as it's a feeling. You have felt yourself finish this thing. And then you come back and realize that it was a hallucination or, you know, approximation of a hallucination. And, but you're still left with the feeling and the feeling is that, man, that felt really good to do that thing. So instead of just it being in the back of your head, you start thinking about it. You're like, man, that was a really real feeling. I felt the tingles. I felt the sensations of the bike. I felt the pain and the fatigue and the muscles, but it was totally worth it. And you're like, the fear for swimming or something that is keeping you back from that starts to be more of a curiosity than actually something that's keeping you from doing it, right? It's like, well, if I'm gonna have those sensations, I'm gonna have to go through this door. And that's really how you start to use these substances to deal with phobias and goals. And and it basically looks at potentiality. Uh, if you could see your potentiality, you can do a lot. You know, if, you, if we can show somebody that they're actually stronger than they think they are, you know, by leaps and bounds. Like somebody doesn't know it, but we unsuspectingly change the weights, and they lift a bar and it's heavy, and they look at it and they go, "Oh, that's a new PR." And we go, "Yeah, you didn't think you could do it, so I didn't tell you the number." And now psychologically, they start questioning their other, you know, self-imposed limitations. That that's what I care about. You know, I pointed back here because this gym is back here, but that room it right just so for reference people think like what am i deadlifting in a closet but uh that's that's my interest in athletics is not i don't Uh, care about a big number i don't i'm not interested in setting any world records although if that's what you're into you're into the interest in me is the unlocking thing and that's why it's very similar to psychedelic use it's very similar to breath work it's very similar to bike racing it's like it's a practice. And that's really what I think that it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of that is like, I just, I love it. Um, cause and so much of it too, is like similar to us. That's, you know, our, our company between the ears, like the work we do, we have a program called the dose where it was like, it's like, you know, a dose of this awareness, um, and I will say on that too, like to the point, and and so I'm actually in a psych a year long like psychedelic assisted therapy training program mm-hmm. for there's doctors, there's just psychonauts, there's all of the the yeah. it's a really cool kind <laughs> of diverse group there. But like one of the dudes who was giving a uh, one of our teachers, like Bill Richards, who has been like he's like an, he's like a founding father of the like modern day thing. He was saying like enough with trying to make it. This compound this molecule for this dsm thing and like you gotta kind of his his little mantra is beautiful he's like you gotta trust trust you gotta let go and you gotta be open and then you just experience the thing and i was like what a gem i will say also i have done what's sort of been described as like the avalanche or the uh, mount everest of psychedelics and I began into five MEO DMT. And when we speak of these experiences of like the elevator, this or that, and the whole ego death thing, and and just how challenging, the Five MEO experience was by far the most horrifying, mm-hmm. destable, like dangerous. Like yeah, like for sure. Like it was was so, your synthetic. Yeah synthetic the five and very,
1: was synthetic okay
0: yeah yeah um but it was and it was like you know it was a learning lesson for sure but coming back yeah. from that and then what it what it highlighted which is in a state of mind that is and body and spirit and whatever that is like you know so not clean and orderly and like you know this this state But it was the integration element of that, the follow through, the like, okay, so what for like the next year was continuously like hard and difficult work. And I think, you know, I'm concerned, frankly, with how psychedelics are. I think it's obviously very incredible and there's a lot of hope and there's amazing stories and stuff but it is almost very transactional kind of like you know a uh, capitalism sort of like hey oh. i just gotta go in do my thing and, and and it's fixed and it's like i just don't i just don't see how that's any different than all of the other stuff totally. that we're talking about because it's, it's 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 a process it's a practice it's not just the compound
1: yeah it's um i, I think you're you're right. It's not going to be a panacea, not that the medicines themselves aren't very, very effective, but you are orchestrating their distribution off of a very corrupt and bad system, like a badly incentivized system, which is not trying to seek uh, autonomous health, but it's trying to seek dependency. And 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 I noticed it. I, I mean, uh, so I, uh, I've never done... Uh, Ibogaine I haven't been drawn to it there was really no reason um, I do know quite a bit about it because I looked into it because I was kind of like a you know whatever journey I've used quite a bit of, in ayahuasca ceremonies and uh, psilocybin and uh, um, I would say that probably the third is San Pedro quite a bit of experience with San Pedro so between the cactus the vine and and the mushroom um, close to 500 experiences or something I quit oh. counting it like 100 in ayahuasca, but um, the, the depth of it is kind of what you're, you're talking about. You're talking about understanding like the how to let go, how to surrender to the idea that you can change. I, I think maybe it works best when people are at their like kind of last ditch effort to try to heal themselves or understand themselves. You see very profoundly good things happen. And I think that that's because of kind of what you described, I would say that, and this goes, this is not talked about very much because mostly people are talking about how can we take these from indigenous practices and, and like put them into a first world capitalistic healthcare system. And that, and that's the mismatch. Because I think what you're seeing is when you use these things indigenously, people do not use them because they are emotionally or mentally injured or diseased they use them for physical corrections in their body um and that that would be if you go back and you take like the general use and it could be medicine men from you know 100 to 10,000 years ago you have one consistent thing and that is that they knew about how to control the state of a person right that that was like unbelievably over, overwhelmingly consistent between every civilization, every hunter gatherer group that we found is that we found drumming and drumming in coordination and in close relation to medicine. That's because the the rhythm of beats sets your brainwave. So theta, delta, alpha, all of these things can be modulated. So hear that traditional shamanic beat. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. It'll be under a certain amount. The reason why it's so transcendental is because the beat is highly predictable, right? So you listen to that for 20 minutes and your brain knows what's coming next. So it sets up a pattern in your brain, not to reduce this down to scientific jargon or not, but it basically puts you into a state where you can relax because the future is predictable. Everything is safe. The sound allows you to go into a deep parasympathetic state one in which that we know that you rest and digest your body actually starts to heal itself. So it's a controlled healing pattern. So that's the first thing to notice about traditional uh, medicines is that music was basically the, the foundation for it in most cultures. And if it wasn't the foundation, it was closely related to the practice. Only in 14 to 15% of the, you know, in societies that we found is their known use of psychoactive substances. Um, and I think it's there's it's going to be higher once we kind of understand how they were using them. But that's the evidence so far. I think it's probably closer to a quarter or half. But conservative-wise, let's say 15% because that's what the data says. Uh, the next thing that you're taking out of context when you apply, you know, plant or other kind of medicinal use into a population like this is Dunbar's number, right? So Dunbar's, the hundred, the groups of 150 people... The importance of that can't be overstated. And I see it now because I've been a part of so many of these uh, ceremonies where you bring people in. um, It's a great appropriation of indigenous practices. They're wonderful. Like the music is great. The people are lovely. Everybody's saying really cheerful, happy things. And it's all blessed, light and happiness and all the fucking spiritual gaslighting wisdom that you could ever get out of anything. And then they, you know, they take your 500 bucks a night and then, you know, the blessings brother and well-wishing. And then they go on. And the thing that you're missing is in traditional societies of 150 people or less, you're dealing with one medicine man that has an intrinsic incentive to get you better. Right. So Mm -hmm. there, it's not a here, take this thing and hopefully it works. It's a, we're going to try this. And when that doesn't work, we're going to try this. And when we're going to when that fails, we're going to do, it. they never stop trying to help because they are deeply connected to one another. And yeah. that is the key ingredient that you can't sell in America. You can't sell community. You can try. I mean, CrossFit has been trying for decades, but we yeah. all know that it, if it's if it's arbitrary or it's like falsely held up in this sub-genre or, or uh, subculture, it doesn't really have a stranglehold. And that's one thing that we've been trying to be very aware of, is that when people come in, they have very meaningful experiences, right? And and that's by design. You know, we want people to have meaningful experiences, but we also understand that there's this deep sense that they want to belong to something. And that is most often used in our culture, not to be a cynic, but, you know, maliciously, not maliciously, but negligently maybe is the better. Maybe it's not on purpose, but you know, they use this meaning making to sell things. And and I do think that's because if we look at our programming from like the big, you know, capitalistic point of view, it's make money, make money, make money, make money, uh, be productive, be productive, be productive. These are the, like, this is the messaging, hustle, 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 so you can get more, more, more And if that's going to happen, that underlying program doesn't really go away. So you add plant medicines on top of this and see that it's valuable for people and you take their intimate, emotional and deep healing states and you kind of leverage that to do one ceremony after the other, do another one, keep the healing process up because that's dependency. And what you see is like, even in these people that denounce allopathic medicine, right? Like, you know, the these what I'd call plastic shamans, people go down to Peru or, you know, they go to a retreat center and they get a certificate and now they can serve ayahuasca or whatever. And they come back wearing Shipibo garb and all white. And, you know, they're basically levitating into the fucking room and they're going (laughs) to provide all sorts of, you know, they, they basically listen to Wayne Dyer for a year and they just quote him and then serve powerful medicines. And, and there's a huge difference, you know, that like, They're even if even if they're well-meaning, even if they are good people, and I know a lot of them are good people. Subconsciously, they have this this societal conditioning to get more, 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 and that happens by leveraging people's uh, experiences.
0: Yeah, I think it's so difficult because the I don't know about difficult, but like obviously we we exist within the sort of constraints of capitalism and and, um, you know, financial requirements and this and that. But when it comes to, like, when it comes to community, there's this need for obviously connection and there's this, there is this need for meaning and belonging. And, you know, to exploit that, I, I do think is like, that is malicious. That is, you know, and, and the best way to, The best way to like rile up people is to have some sort of external threat or an enemy or you know something to to have this sort of foe um you know inherent or intrinsic need to heal the person or have the person come together and so like just this constant creation of enemies that provide the tension or the, the the sort of pushback to have then this camp or this tribe of like, you know, now it's Russia, now it's I, now it's this people, now it's those people, now it's, you know, all of these things, and and that just does seem like that's like building a house with like the siding f- first versus like the yeah. foundation <laughs> and the framing and yeah. Um, yeah. So getting back to a little bit about. You know this stuff too with fitness, because um, obviously you know there's there's medicines and compounds, and you know even I, I was listening to somebody talk about psychedelic use, and you know he's been in the world, for, uh, he's a sound guy. I'll, I'll send you the podcast. It was fascinating, um, but he was like saying he's like, yeah, I don't really like calling them medicines just because of the loaded sort of implications with that. He's like these are like technologies that they're. Yeah they're just technologies. Like that's what he refers to them as um, which with the music thing is interesting. Cause with Iboga um, and the Bwiti tribe, their music mm-hmm. is wild. It is like oh, yeah. totally chaotic. Um, yep. You know, and they were saying that the, that the, you know, the, the, the Iboga showed them the, the instruments to build during the, during the journey. And then they built it and you're like, Holy crap! This is this is so unlike anything I've ever heard before.
1: I, this is this is noble, and this is what's so fundamentally strange about this because no one really knows where there, there's lore that comes behind where these substances were discovered. And uh, iboga, the boichweer—I I mean, they didn't crack you over the head, right? Because <laughs> like, they used to the. How I understand the original story, ceremony is like, yeah, as I crack open and let out the spirit. So they basically give you a concussion at the end. Uh, hopefully they, they changed that part, but the, yeah, these, uh, these wild stories about what came first or whatever. I, I like your point to not calling it medicines. I had a, a guy who facilitated for me incredibly talented. Like, I mean, the most unreal musical talent that I've ever heard Uh, And very good at working with this plant in general. And he said right off the bat, he because somebody said, like, plant medicine to try to talk about it. He's like, look, if you're not sick, it's not medicine. If you're well, it's a teacher. And that's it. They're using it to learn. And that always clarified for me what I was coming to it with, which is like, oh. I'm here to learn and this is why I should be quiet and I should listen because it's like, I, I can learn something from the experience, um, from the, from the, uh, maybe the generate, the, the generation of, or the revelation, I should say, of musical instruments or or whatnot. It's, you can't, that sounds like bullshit until you have some of these experiences and you go, Oh no, that makes sense. Um, early on, I met a kid. I don't know how it happened, but I met a kid who cooked his own ayahuasca, right? And I'd heard about him, and he had never sat with a shaman. He would never sat. He had he had no training in it. He was a cook. I was a chef down in like Arizona, and a friend introduced me to him. I don't know how he met him, and uh, he came and taught me and my friend how to cook ayahuasca in a crock pot. And I was like listening to him, and it, it was very like he just had this process, and I was like. Where did you learn this? And he was like, well, originally I was trying to extract DMT, but then I found a recipe that I kind of put together that I could figure out how to make ayahuasca. So I made it. And then the first time it didn't work. And then I had a dream that night and it taught me how to fix it. And the next day I recooked it and took it and it worked. And then from there, every time I took it, it taught me how to refine it. So it told me to quit using aluminum to cook in. It told me to use glass to, you know, to to store me in. And like all of these really bizarre things where it's essentially he's claiming that the plant is the instructor. And whenever he sits with the plant, it teaches him how to refine the process all the way to the point where he was uh, called uh, egg white leaching. So this is something that they don't do in the traditional brew that he had figured out. Um, and maybe some of it had to do with some internet forum stuff, but essentially said it was a pure revelation. He claimed as a pure revelation that the tannins in the ayahuasca are what make you physically very ill. Like your gut has a very hard time processing them and you're more likely to eject it, which is I is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Uh, vomiting is purging is part of it. But he claimed that uh, the revelation told him to use half, half an egg white for every ounce of, of reduced ayahuasca, and he could clarify the tannins out. So he, he would cook it, uh, cool it, bring it to a boil, drop egg whites into it, let it simmer down, cook, le- the egg whites boil out, and he pulls it out, and the egg whites leach the tannins out. And you get this very pure substance it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen because we did it and it works. It like legitimately works. And it was all based off of this revelation. So you saying that the Buitu tribe learned how to make instruments that are insane is completely realistic in my experience. And I think other people could laugh, especially people like, you know, the the skeptics, cause I was one of them and they'd be like, Oh, they're just, you know, hallucinating. They, whatever. Uh, but in my experience, uh, that is dead true. Um, Have you done anything other than iboga and in five? Um,
0: No, not yet.
1: Those are, those are strong. Yeah.
0: They're pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. A couple ideas kind of coming up or things coming up, but you know, and, and as the teaching, you know, as the teacher and not to, you know, have it be something that helps me finish a book or, you know, wrap up a project or like not this, it's I, I don't view these as like springboards for outcomes and products, but genuine. You know, um, for me at least, with some of the things that I struggle with, you know, with like paralysis and analysis and room rumin- and like the known and you know just different things. It's like they're beautiful reminders of like the we because Elon Musk exists. It's like look at us. We've got the iPhone and the. SpaceX and like we're so smart and it's like like no <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever thought was that like my mind is really smart by my own doing and my own again like fabrication and um you know but that is where I think with some of the stuff you know kind of started saying like shouting philosophy in the gym while working out but like I see this very much as a similar practice that you do. That Andrew Tracy's kind of um, guiding people through that we do that I don't know I don't think there's many that are like in like exploring this because it's not like how many reps or what the weight was or what your time or some sort of performative measure and in a world that's I think trying to explain everything with research and theories mm-hmm. we're kind of being like look just have the experience and that's it. Like, what did you notice in the experience? And people do have these moments of, of, of insight. I'm not going to say necessarily like divine intervention or any mm-hmm. sort of intervention, but like these surges of a state, maybe it was a little bit of a peace. maybe it was anger, maybe it was whatever it was. And not to say though, like, Hey, this workout, this FYF or this, you know, engaged session that we do or this Piece of equipment is going to give you. This is going to repair the relationship with your dad because, like, not, you know what I mean. Like, but that's what. Yeah, so cool. This is such
1: a good. This is such a good way to put it, actually. To like put it in the context of like, imagine thinking that like three sets of ten something would repair like childhood trauma. And you, like that, It's the same. I get the same laugh out of somebody thinking that if they take five grams of psilocybin, they're somehow not going to deal with like a youth rape scenario. Um, I, I think you're right. Like maybe that was what my attraction was originally to substances like that is because it really reflected what I had felt inside a training, either on a bike for racing bikes or in a gym, you know, scenario. Mm-hmm. I, I felt very powerful sensations that, had nothing to do with rep sets or weight. It had something to do with just placing myself in an environment. And I think maybe I solidified this lesson later with some substance use that um, I think I was coming to learn and I thought I knew what I was going to learn. And it really slapped me back and made me learn the hard way. And then I had to be really careful about saying that I want to learn because learning I don't think most people realize this, but to say that I want to learn something essentially is saying that you're rewriting what you know, right? You're either filling a gap or changing something. And that hurts. That is not a pleasant experience. Like when I've learned a lesson, what is it? It's usually I learned the lesson the hard way, Yeah. but who learns it the easy way? I've never met that person. (laughs) Right. So It intuits the same thing about like people come into a gym space and they go, oh, I'm going to get strong or I'm going to develop X quality. And you go, yeah, but if you know what you are going to learn, then you wouldn't need to learn it. And the same thing is true for physical efforts like to to assume that, you know, the lesson already means it's you're not doing the right thing in order to actually learn the lesson. And so it's rewritten a lot of how I feel, like the creativity process, the openness to the day. And this is something that we try to teach people, um, albeit mixed unsuccessfully successfully, in how to be creative on the day to give people a physical experience that they can pull something out of that you're not dictating what they should pull out of. That has been probably the biggest realization and also the biggest challenge that we've recognized that our work is you know kind of geared towards in this fitness industry space which to be fair uh and i've been trying to talk about this for a little bit i don't think people realize what they're up against uh you notice the frustration like people that are like coaches in the fitness but they're like oh man like it just sucks and they just they have this like very downtrodden cynical perspective of what the world their world worldviews is that the world sucks Right, yeah. Uh, even though they're still doing their job, they are dismayed by non-compliant clients seeking easy-button answers and pill formula, formulaic uh, application of practices, and uh, you know, yada yada. You could name all of the stuff. We take that if you're a good coach, you will criticize that person because they're not they're not getting the results that they want because they're not good at practicing that might be true. So I don't want to take that off the table because I hear a lot of coaches just get pissed that somebody didn't do what they told them. And I go, well, that's that's not the job actually to tell people what to do. The job is to problem solve with a person so that they end up changing their behavior uh, in a way that you both agree to. And sometimes you have to trick them into it, but but essentially you have a job of manipulation. You understand where they need to go. They have told you where they need to go. You know how they need to get there and your job is to try to trick them into that path or not just trick, but lead them to the path that works for them. Whether that has to do with changing their diet, their training, their lifestyle stuff doesn't really matter. It's just that that that's your job. But there's another side of this that I don't think is talked about enough. And that is what, what you are as a a coach, like a fit. Okay. I am a fitness coach for lack of a, a better term. So I am concerned with people's overall well-being first and foremost, and then maybe some performance metrics on top of that. If you don't have the well-being down, you will never get the performance. If you leverage performance against health, you'll always lose. And then you'll lose-lose because then the person is in a worse spot than when they started. Most people come to me ready to leverage and lose, and we have to turn them away because we have to. We don't have time to teach them that they're they're wrong in their approach. That they're too late. They're in dishealth. That you know the weight that they want to lose or the um, body that they want is on the other side of other corrective, like psychology. Like a lot of this is limited in our head, obviously, but a lot of it has to do with man. You thought that you wanted to change your body, but you didn't realize that that was opening up a huge problem between you and your partner who doesn't want you to change or your change is a reflection of their inability to change. And now you have marital problems because you're training. And And that's, that is something that occurs so commonly and people yeah. laugh at it, but that's like, that's a legitimate problem that we have with people. It's the first question I get with people wanting to make drastic transformations. Uh, you know, how long will it take? And I go, well, how fat is your partner? or how unhealthy is your partner or you know what is their state because that will largely dictate your state and you don't think so but you start shedding you know 15 20 pounds looking good feeling good and your partner hasn't done that they're going to start baking you cakes and brownies and shit to slow you down and not because they don't love you but because they're looking at you changing thinking that you're accelerating and they see themselves as stagnant so it becomes a real issue but on top of even the just the interpersonal client coach connection you know how you you now have industrialized bad incentives all around right our culture has made it so that the the obese person is the best customer right like uh, it's by design you know that the person that is overweight or obese needs more food right generally speaking um They buy things that they don't or can't use uh, or quit using, so they keep rebuying stuff. They have the most need for entertainment because they have the highest sedentary uh, rate out of pretty much anyone in the population. And then when their metabolic diseases catch up to them, they need the most pharmaceutical intervention. And when the pharmaceutical intervention can't continue to keep them quote-unquote healthy by the numbers, they then need drastic medical intervention. So we're, we're, we're talking about... An upsell. If you look at it the right way, this is not a this is not a problem that is trying to be solved. It is a problem that has been solved, which is how do we get people to nonstop consume? Well, we engineer food types that are. Uh, so palatable that you can't stop eating them, that they overwrite literally neurotransmitters in your brain so that you will continue to crave these foods over foods that are actually have healthful impact. In fact, they are so palatable that they make healthy food for you taste bad, right? You tell okay. you, ugh, what's that? You can't eat like they, they manipulate your whole sensory, uh, experience. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you get to the food type thing, but then the pharmaceuticals are just basically the goal of the United States healthcare system is essentially to keep people on prolonged medications. And if you don't understand what the incentive would be for that, it was like, it's pretty simple. It's just economics. If I cure a disease, no more money. If I treat a disease for a lifetime, lots of money. So Ozempic will become the fastest growing, most profitable drug of all time. Now, granted, I don't, I, I raise the alarm bell about it because there's some issues with muscle wasting, but it, semaglutide is a long chain peptide that has some phenomenal uses in type two diabetics, you yeah. know, adult onset diabetes. That being said, its side effect is for weight loss is real. The reason why it's dangerous is because people will not proactively Protect themselves against the the wasting away part. They won't feel hungry, and the foods that they do want to eat will be low quality. So they will fall them. They will fall into malnutrition even worse than they already are. Uh, And they won't protect by having you know increased protein or amino acid profile or activity to mitigate the muscle wasting. So they will see. I'm not even going to talk about the psychological problems of like suicidal ideation. But I think in in the next ten years, you'll see. An extreme explosion of osteoporosis, um, yeah. probably young age mortality rate by falling, stuff like that from people that will use this for a lifetime. So, when you're a coach and you're trying to make people better, you you have a whole industry that is working against you. And so, when you feel that frustration, you don't know what that frustration is. You blame it on the person that's in front of you that's unable to change. But what might allow you some help in this industry is a little bit of compassion and imagining that if somebody is asleep and I'll use this term asleep all the time because I think it's a, you know, a synonym for uh, or an antonym for for attention. Right. Uh, imagine if if somebody was asleep, you can't really blame them for something. They're they're not conscious of what they're doing, right? They get up, sleepwalk, they fall down the stairs and like break your pot or something, right? And you're like, oh, you know, I really liked that pot or I really liked that vase or I really liked that thing that you broke or you crashed into the TV when you were asleep. But immediately our our subconscious is like, I can't be as mad at that person because they were not in control of their actions. Well, take that over and apply it to You know, just normal behavior. You see a baby crying, right? And your first thought, besides if it's not your kid being irritated, is like, well, there's probably three things. The kid's hungry, tired, or unloved, right? It's like one of those three things. But something happens when we become walking, talking adults and those three problems go away, but those are still the three problems. You meet somebody in a traffic incident that's yelling at you and freaking out and you're like, man, that guy sucks. He's a bad person. I wish he would would die. But really, the question is, is he hungry? Is he tired? Is he unloved? Right? And one of those is probably true. And it changes the aspect. The other thing that I'll throw in there after those three is like, are they unaware? Are they asleep? Most people are asleep. And I don't mean physically eyes closed sleep. I mean that their cognitive process for understanding the world is on autopilot. Driving to work is on autopilot. Doing work is on autopilot. Watching Netflix is on autopilot. Most relationships are had, most interactions are had on autopilot. When you wake somebody up, what do you get? You get somebody who's kind of terrified, right? You've seen those videos of like the person sleeping in the car and "Ah," and they come alive and they start freaking out and they're like, oh God, it's a heart attack. When we talk about making people aware, I'm very aware that this is actually what you run into. I make somebody aware of the poison that is involved in the food that they're eating or the relationships that they're involved in or the lifestyle that they have ignored for 40 years. And suddenly the panic starts to overwrite what I'm saying. Right. And so I have to think about clear and concise ways to gently wake people up to little things here and there so that they can be aware that. Actually, you have trillion dollar organizations that are looking to undo them like their dis-ease and their unhealthiness is a profit margin to them. And as you start to wake people up, some people will panic and go the other way. But the more people you can wake up to this, the better, because then collectively we can have constructive uh, conversations about food quality and lifestyle and uh, kind of what the pressures of society are kind of leading to
0: yeah it's funny you say that because um you know it is almost that like awareness sounds like oh like like just like learning it's like yes like awareness learning like awesome and it's like and then you're in some painful shit and you're like hey this is learning you're like no 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 this is not learning it's like it is actually and like the this awareness is torture. <laughs> yeah this is torture but the, and then all of a sudden, like, aware, well, now you see, now you actually are, like, the burden of responsibility with what you see, now you look at the person. We live in an area where I would generally say there's many, many sleep drivers, for one. Um, um. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's like chasing the things and all of the whatever, the, you know, the the shekels and the tokens and the status stuff. And not... Really into any of them, but <clears throat> it's like when you are aware or are becoming aware, and I'm certainly not making claims to be like the enlightened one or, or an enlightened one or anything like that, but like through my own process, it's like, well, now I have to look at the things that I've been in an environment with the culture and with society and with things that really not only <clears throat> celebrate, but make it very easy to turn away from. So of course this person is going to consciously or subconsciously not want to open their eyes, not want to see. And your bit about compassion, man, talk about some, like, we do hard things like, yeah, offering some compassion and some grace to someone who is living, living in this life, in this world that I would believe there's at some point within them a recognition of, don't look like like deny like don't look over there don't don't become aware um and it's super difficult because you see you can be like yeah but if you just sort of saw what is really going on perhaps the problems that continue to be spoken about could could maybe be ameliorated or maybe be down a bit like it's not the next thing that's you know we had a my former job I was you know in the military and um my team star and I were talking one late one night and we were like, you know, we were talking about a certain area of the of the world and a certain mission. And we're like, yeah, you know, the problem is is that the problem is the solution is the problem. And that's what we're in that's what we're entangled and grappling here. And for us, I think in the fitness space, like there's almost this perpetual sort of, I don't know if you've noticed this too, but like healing. Like like healing is like, I'm on my, he- and yes, people are on <laughs> healing journeys, and, and I get yeah. it. But it's like the best way to be on this healing loop is to constantly be sick or constantly, like, if you're, if you keep breaking your leg, you're always going to be healing. Like, you're in yeah. this, you're just in this Sisyphean like situation. And man, yeah, if I could is-
1: offer you're not on a healing journey. You're on a healing roller coaster. Like you're just doing the same thing over and over again and, and thinking that it's a thrill, but you're literally just on a manufactured loop and the things that are, that you're damaged by, you're exposing yourself to. And I I think that's, that's a very common actually.
0: Yeah. Um, The, um, within the psychedelic space even too, or some of the, some of the philosophical underpinnings within that, they're like, you know, a lot of the people who are advocates for like, you know, obviously um, responsible use and whatnot, they have this beautiful mm-hmm. metaphor, which is like Ralph Metzner I read it from. He was saying like when you plant something back to what you were doing previously, when you like plant something, you have this plant it's the roots are growing you can't continually unearth it to check to make sure that there's roots, like you have to yeah. let it be in the thing, and you know I think that's that's something with the practice of using physical movement of using you know what you're putting into your, are you aware of your body in space and time? Are you aware of how you are walking in? You know, we don't even have, at our gym, we don't even do, we don't have a set workout. We have programming like for the week or whatever. Um, but like somebody might be do, somebody might do like a lower body session today. Mm-hmm. Someone else in the same training session might just do like some, some cardio conditioning with some breathing protocols. And it's like, they're there. They're both there at nine in the morning. They're teaching us. They're, they're telling us we're checking in with our state, but it's like, not, it's not an easy thing for people to digest because they're like, well, I come to the gym. You're just like, you're the expert. You're supposed to tell me what, tell to, me do. what like, to do. Yeah. And we're like, and so we were like, you know what we, you know, cause we had to cross the gym for a long time. And it's, you know, um, obviously done a lot for a lot of people and we're we're grateful for for that for what that's done but when we opened up between years we're like we're not doing our enemy is actually in many ways like within the little fitness slice of it our enemy isn't the gym around the corner our enemy is the calendar telling people what they should do on a set day and we can remove that and now partner with them and be like all right so what do we got It's amazing to see that click.
1: The the harm that you see from like structured programming that never considers the person consider their own state before they apply X amount of stress is probably one of the most devious damaging things that is just an inherent truth because we get told, shut up, fucking train hard, shut up legs, you know, like we're basically admonish to David Goggins our way into fitness. You know, like, but th- this is not the use of it. The the use of it is and I would say the same thing. It's like the analogy there for me is like thinking that psychedelics are good and that you should just put it in the water supply, right? Oh, everybody mm-hmm. should do it. And you're like that's the same thing with fitness. It's highly potent, right? Especially you get into intense training with heavy loading and heavy central nervous system fatigue th- these are not things that should be applied willy-nilly and I, I agree with you we ran into that same issue when people just uh, we we so we we mapped our system a little bit differently uh, probably a lot it's probably really close to what you were talking about where i go people are coming to learn here so they don't need us therefore right. they're going to learn to come up with their own sessions based off of themes we still have like a running program hey here's if you want to uh if you want to use the energy of the group and you want to use intensity as a modality here's the workout that you can do mm-hmm. we would first say to warm up and then decide what to do and sometimes mm-hmm. that'll be now that i'm warm i don't feel like doing that and you go cool figure out what would be beneficial to you most of the time it's cardiovascular easy aerobic stress or it's mobility work or sometimes it's actually no i just need to lift a heavy weight and then get out of here and you're like cool that process takes maybe a year to learn for most people if they're actually wanting to learn it right which is Mm -hmm. engaging with them and trying to ask them how they feel after certain sessions or what kind of training affected them a certain way and they are conscious of this process while it's going on after a year i find that most people don't need us now that doesn't mean they know how to do everything um, but I think they could show up to a gym and figure it out. And that's really what our goal has been is to not just facilitate people's addiction to high intensity exercise or their hustle culture mentality. You know, the 6amers are the worst. They're like they're every time, but they also never get better. And this is what drives me crazy. I'm like, you're wasting an hour of your day and you're not getting any better. Like just sleep in, man. Like if you could choose, just sleep. (laughs) <laughs> i have one thing uh that I, I don't want to lose you mentioned that you're not enlightened. i would ask you i have a very simple kind of equation for for figuring out levels of enlightenment what is your most toxic trait like what is the thing that you think is is the thing that you're aware of that you're just like man i wish that wasn't m- me <laughs>
0: Um, I can be incredibly vindictive, to the point of I will. My, I want to go off to foreign lands and exchange in the transmission of life <laughs> to, like Fair. you know that that vindictive. <laughs> I guess like that that justice seeking vindictive, just that part of yeah. Uh, to to varying, right? There's like an escalation of, of force with that. Um, of course, if somebody busts into my home, like sure, that's not, I'm not going to hold any, hold any, you know, kind of qualms about that. But the, uh, the, the above and beyond, the orders of magnitude greater than what's probably like called for, yeah. you know, like that's, I think that's pretty, for me, like I, I, I noticed that's toxic. Cause not only is it like kind of fucked up to like, and I'm not like a raging maniac. Like I don't, I sure. don't like, <laughs> like I don't like doing that. Like I'm not like kicking in people's like car doors if they like, you know, <laughs> do whatever. But like, man, I really go there and super quick. And, and, and it was, you know, in a job that was like, yeah, right on, man, we got, you're right. What we're looking for, you know, like we we'll yeah. reward you. Um, but also like, <laughs> Oli, do I pay a price for that? I like the toll that yeah. my inner world has paid for that. Um, you know, has certainly i've 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 had my eyes open to that in the past couple yeah. of years. It's uh, yeah, that's a tough one.
1: I mean, it's well, it's just you know, it, it's isn't. It, I don't think people look into it, right? Like they mm-hmm. they, they feel these negative emotions or they feel these sights, and the, you know, it doesn't feel good, but also. Mm -hmm. I am also driven to more than justice. Like I like retribution. Like I, Mm -hmm. I think people should pay in the deepest sense for crossing me the wrong way. And uh, that is a knee jerk reaction that I also have to be like, okay, most people are not malicious. Most people are just asleep. And therefore it's like me attacking some sleeping people, which doesn't give me a good visual. (laughs) so that's usually how i but what i would say is like understanding your like toxic or negative traits i think is that is the path of enlightenment and enlightenment not being some eastern place that you arrive but in the place uh that you arrive internally the landscape internally starts to be a flourishing garden because you know where the weeds are And, and you can't really kill those parts off because it's all an ecosystem like Mm. i don't have what was hard for me to contend with was like without this negative or toxic trait that most people do not appreciate about me i don't have the other right i don't have the deep sense of loyalty like to other people who have you know i don't that doesn't exist without this like idea of retribution so therefore once i recognize it I can go, okay, I'm aware that I tend to go off this side, but I'm not trying to get rid of it because something happens to Aaron or Mark or the people that I care about. You bet your ass I'll be there in a second with a pitchfork and whatever, ready to burn shit down because that's just in my personality. I think you can activate me and weaponize me and I can be kind of easily manipulated, which is why I have to be very careful about people that I am loyal to
0: yeah man that's so funny i I, right i agree 100 percent. it's similar in that like i look at that and i think like you know the whole like killing killing that part of you or whatever like it's just Mm -hmm. such nonsense like internet hype talk but man does it it's again like i think it's like another itch because when when, and i'm the same thing like deeply loyal so and and frankly like yeah there's sometimes i'm like I'm embarrassed. I'm not really embarrassed now. It's just what it was. It was ignorance. I was asleep. But like, you're like, man, I really like, I, I outsourced my own sort of like agency and sense of perhaps what's right to this loyal, this pseudo loyal, whatever. Maybe it's more complicated than that. But looking at the killing off the parts of yourself or, you know, David Goggins and and, and all of that, it's like, that's just a giant itch scratcher. Because yeah. that part, like what you asked, that, that, what a beautiful question, like, yeah, what's the most toxic thing about you or that you're aware of? That is like an itch that you'd rather probably not feel. You'd rather scratch it, pain you'd like to, you know, distract from. And along comes this thing that is like a niche scratcher and you're like I don't understand like psychologically and physiologically this makes absolutely no sense kind of like some of like the Trump stuff and yet it's like yeah 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 like David Goggins your way through dealing with a like literal component of of who you are it's just an activation of different things and experiences and and you're supposed to like eradicate that um because with that yeah goes the goes the the there's the maladaptive response to it but then there's also the adaptive response is like well i guess in many ways for what you what you're doing with nonprofit and your family and mark and all the people it's like but something's driving you to say i want to do this better i want to maybe not do this better as far as like a comparison but serve and provide and 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 reveal kind of like what you were saying before
1: yeah, I um, and maybe this brings us to my toxic trait, um, which, which is like, this, so this business exists out of spite. Like I yeah. I hate so deeply that I want to succeed in order to shut other, like, I don't know, detractors of mine down. Yeah. But that energy doesn't last anywhere. And that that's like, man, I... I think it brings me to my real toxic trait, which is like a deep sense of insecurity that I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. I haven't proven myself that I'm never going to be satisfied. Like I have sadly counterbalanced two parts of me. One, I do think that I'm better than other people. Like not, Mm -hmm. not like in a sense that I deserve more. I'm entitled, but from the sense that I think that I think more, I try harder. I, I, I think that I put more effort in than most people. And that is a deep sense of superiority to the average person. Not that I want harm from them or I think I deserve, but it's just, but then it's balanced by a deep sense of inferiority, which I'm never going to live up to my own expectations. And that Mm -hmm. cuts at me every, like if you want to like an alarm bell that makes me go off and makes me more anxious and more frantic and desperate it's I wake up and I go, I, ha- I, I don't have that many years left. Realistically, mm. like, you know, 40, fuck, half of it's gone, at least, you know, the very least, you know, it's like, it's like, it's this ride's almost over. And I feel like, man, I'm still living in the same state, man, I'm still doing the same stuff, I'm still talking about exercise. And that's why I get a little bit frantic. But then I relax and go, man, if I didn't have that motivation, I wouldn't show up to help people. If I didn't have that motivation, I wouldn't sit down to write about the things that I've experienced. I wouldn't go to the work to try to like ensure that the teachings that I give people in exchange for money are profoundly true and that they are effective. And uh, so I I have to understand that every once in a while, I fall back into that feeling of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing the right thing. I need to change. And that is where I, I get stuck. But because I'm aware of it, I can at least notice it and then just like let some of it go. I know it's not going to go away, you know, but um, I can warn people around me. You know, I can tell, hey, this is what I'm like. And they already know, obviously. So, you know, me me and Aaron have like probably the most open like dialogue in weird. uh, I, I mean, if people are we know every like we're pretty open about what our dark sides are, right? Like that's what we talk about most of the time is like, this is mm-hmm. what I'm afraid of. And it took a while to get there. It took a, a while for us to mature into a place of communication to be like, for a while, I wanted to hide all this stuff from her because I wanted to be the protector. I wanted to be the person who's capable. And I didn't sure. want her to sense my fear. Um, But what she got from that was that I was lying about something. She could sense that I wasn't being honest about my fear. And that became a distrust of me. And that amplified my Fear and anxiety. And then eventually, yeah. once we broke through that pattern, and it was like, oh, okay, I just need to tell you that I'm worried actually. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we own our own businesses. Um, I'm not real good with like planning things. So I kind of like fly off the seat of the cuff and uh, I'm going to be terrified pretty much all the time. And <laughs> we're in one of those modes right now where I'm like, man, we jump ship, we move to this new loft. Uh, we, we are renovating our entire gym. We're changing kind of our business direction. We're changing uh, nonprofit to be a little bit like separated from other, like siloed from other endeavors and trying to coordinate things that are more organized. But right now it just looks like pure mayhem. And when I wake up, I go, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, Mm. uh, I start to panic a little bit, but because Erin knows, she's like, well, you just start, you just get your coffee walk over to the gym and start teaching. And then when you're done teaching, do something for yourself, go play the drum or play some music and then go get in the office, type some stuff. When you get tired of that, go out, do some stuff for yourself. And it just becomes like, once you start moving, you can tolerate, you know, the deep sense of panic. Uh, But I still have it. It's not like I'm calm, cool, and collected. It's like inside. I'm like, nobody knows that I'm a faker yet. And Mm -hmm. so I'm constantly trying to prove that I'm not a faker. And I think just knowing that about yourself is, is what it's about. Like understanding it, dealing with it, forgiving yourself for being like that, whatever, you know, (laughs) whatever the new, new age spiritual speak is for acceptance or whatever. Um, That is Mm -hmm. what they've been talking about for 5,000 years. That is awareness. That is, that is the thing. every single person like, yeah, we know everybody like that is the suffering. The suffering is that, you know, you're not the person that you want to be. And then once you know that you can then try harder or
0: not, doesn't matter. That's what I actually think discipline is, which is Mm -hmm. like the efforts we take to ameliorate ourselves from the pain of knowing we're not yet who we want to be. if that's like because that sort of and then like kind of the whole i don't know how like I, i'd really want to do more digging into like the i don't know some new agey person we need like a uh uh like a andrew huberman dopamine expert <laughs> combined <laughs> with like a shaman yeah. you know like a gabor <laughs> mate like who's like just yeah. pure compassion and heart and being like yeah. i'm really curious about that because like the, the the that that dopamine you know that decline of dopamine the pain of saying i need to motivate action uh to do and pursue and to get the thing and and using the function of the you know dopaminergic system mm-hmm. well that's the root of discipline like i think that's mm-hmm. the pain is the pain of not being who we can be or who we aspire to be and the things the actions we take to to ameliorate the pain to not feel the pain like that's discipline that to me, I think that's discipline or a disciplined pursuit. Um, well, I just kind of blacked out for a second, but
1: I know I like, I I like that thought. I think it was Mike Tyson. who just said this the other day, I think. And he said like, uh, his idea of discipline is learning to love what you don't like. Mm. Right. And that, that Mm. is like, man, at first you're like, Oh, whatever. And then you kind of think about it and you go, yeah, that's basically like, I don't like the feeling of hard exercise actually i like the result from it so i learned to like the process in order to get the other thing and Mm -hmm. i don't like sitting down to write and there's your you know uh your dopamine response is basically in the sitting down to write a thousand words a day is not fun it's painful actually Mm -hmm. but the response is delayed gratification because once something comes out clear and concise and it resonates with people. Now I get a flood and I get the results that I was looking for. People mm. are able to understand my view of the world. And that is all I've ever wanted really it was like, I want somebody to understand how I see the world. They don't have to see it like that, but I want them to understand where I'm coming from. And that that's the pain in learning to write or take pictures or, you know, seeing. Yeah.
0: Well, there's also like a deep sense of just wanting to be see like uh, not to be like the Brene brown but like just being sort of seen and like as a human like being acknowledged like you know like yeah the the work that you're doing the creation the revelation the interesting the pursuit of learning i find incredibly valuable i mean I don't follow every single space program. I, I think I'm doing it well because like, it's not like, a, all right, just what I'm <laughs> doing today. You know what I mean? like, it's like, it's like the anti-program. It's like, no, yeah. fuck faith. Don't, this isn't a Monday through Saturday thing. No. But like, I find that what you, you know, you and the crew and everybody are doing, it's like, oh, this is really cool. This is a, what a gift it is. And yeah, like, the lack of acknowledgement, perhaps it's like you know going into that, like wanting to be wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to not in a you know grandiose like oh I need to be you know like worship yeah. no like the purity and the truth like it's right and true that what yeah. is being asked or perhaps yearned for is being acknowledged as the human being that you are and I don't know I'm not trying to kiss your ass I love what you guys no. are doing big fan obviously I, like all good
1: I. I I really appreciate it. I I think, uh, I think these things, like, this. this is the hard. So when people come to a symposium, we don't know what's going to happen, but I do know like the, the, the mechanisms that are involved are if I'm not honest about myself, other people won't be. And so essentially it becomes about what we say is like cutting your own belly open and like letting things out to Mm -hmm. let the, you know, vulnerability kind of act as a, uh, you know, <laughs> a contagion almost, right? Like, you see one person is able to be honest about themselves and be open about what they're working on. And then you see it kind of multiply. And it's not, it, I should be, I should reframe this because there is a fucking vast difference between self-assessment and self-deprecation. And I think one might start, but it usually ends with the other because people love to say that they're on the healing process, but really they're just self-deprecating. And one of the ways that I've, man, i I had a hard time. In instance, I didn't really know how to handle because it, uh, we, I wrote this article kind of on the shifts that we wanted to do. Um, we really wanted, we really needed to take into consideration that in order to affect an industry, we have to become a part of it and not be apart from it because we've really mm-hmm. like, not paid attention to it, we've ignored it, we've demeaned it. But really if we want people to like learn at a bigger level, we really need to integrate into it and broadcast using some of the same methods, although ethical, to get people to pay attention. And now that's not like waving a hand, pay attention to us. That that's hey, we have valuable information that will save you time and could help you. And therefore, how do we get this information out to people? So I wrote this article kind of explaining that thesis. And Most of the comments are like, awesome. I got a ton of people like offering to help from marketing to business analysis. I haven't even got back to most of them because it was just too many people offering help. And I think that was really what we were bad at. We were really bad about asking for help, about being like, hey, we need experts in this field, and this field, because we don't know it. People responded, tons of comments, tons of emails, even text messages. And then there's one comment on the fucking article. And you know, it's always one, it's one fucking comment. Anonymous guy. uh, Hey, I think you guys would be way more valuable if Blevins shuts the fuck up and like Mark Twight gets more involved. And I was like, man. And when I thought about it, it's like, this is the idea. Hold on one second. This is the idea that, that I'm talking about. um, When I go, okay, I'm really good at defending myself. Right. And if people didn't know, I do everything (laughs) at nonprofit. Like I design the website. I send all the emails. I send all the shipping. I train all the people. I teach all the apprenticeship program. I come up with all the t-shirt designs. I order all the t-shirt designs. I come up with all the stickers, everything that's going on, every new symposium I'm scheduling everything for. That being said, that was like my first reaction to go, okay, so that's not the, I don't need to actually defend this. What I always noticed is that if somebody goes to defense, it means you hit some kind of key of honesty, right? You hit mm-hmm. something that is actually meaningful. So I took a couple of yeah. days without responding. I, I never responded, actually, but I took a couple of days to think about what he meant. I went, oh, he actually pointed something that I'm very insecure about, actually, mm-hmm. which is that I don't know if I could do this without Mark. I don't think I could. Like, I think I think. In some sense, I think I'm riding Mark's coattails. That's really like what I'm subconsciously afraid of is that mm-hmm. if Mark were to go away and do a different venture or not be involved in this, I'm like, who would carry it? Who would be the, the guy, the guru or whatever, um, the mm-hmm. name? And I go, that's what it is. And that is really good to be aware of actually. And I should thank that person for bringing it to my attention that I had this kind of like, subconscious insecurity that was keeping me from being like proud of myself for what I've already done. Actually, Mm -hmm. what it did was make me step into it and go, no, I actually run this place and I feel good about where I'm going. And if Mark decides to retire, I'll support him hundred percent. He'll always be like a father figure. And I mean, like legitimately uh, a family Mm. member to me. And Mm. that is the role of good mentors is they make it impossible to fill their shoes, but they also don't want you to, right? Like yeah. Mark doesn't want me to be him. He wants me to be me. And therefore somebody pointing out that I'm not him is a gift. And yeah. it just, it's, it's like, you can make these tiny little thing. Now I'm not going to say that it was all beautiful. I was fucking pissed. I wanted to like tear that person apart. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like a pleasant sight, but what it led to was actually like a very peaceful present awareness of who i am as a person and that is yeah. that is the i think that is like what healing really looks like that's what like transformation and change looks like in a very realistic attainable level uh i didn't lose any weight um i didn't you know i, I didn't overcome any like emotional distress really other than the like you know violent rage that i felt right at the beginning <laughs> reading it and in the end, I went about my day, I did all the same stuff, but in the background was this programming that I was unaware of, and I was able to just slightly alter the code so it didn't have control over me and my emotions. And now when I read that comment, I'm not mad at all. I'm actually like quite grateful that somebody was allowed to offer me a tool of introspection.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you. it sounds like you were learning. <laughs> like it was... Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, like the painful like learning of that. Um man, you should like take a screen grab of that and put it on a fucking t-shirt. Oh yeah. I, but
1: like we've, it's, we've, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, it is I I I do appreciate that, you know, because it's true. It's honest. And to your point about, you know, being like vulnerable sharing, you know, I think of course it, it, it it's it it does bother me that it does bother me that a lot of these concepts and these words and these ways of being maybe are like they are like latched onto and then like everybody's gotta be vulnerable or like you know Yeah. And I, I was actually having a discussion with this with a client one time, he's like, Yeah, I kinda of rolled his eyes. You know, Like it's a standard like dude kind of situation. <laughs> Like, fuck that vulnerability stuff. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what well, would just like check in right now if I were to change the word and just say, just, just, just honest?
1: How does that sound?
0: And he's like, yeah, fucking honesty, right on. I respect that. I'm like, we're talking about the same thing, man. And like, you know, mental toughness and all of this stuff. It's like, let's boil all the, let's reduce all the noise and get to the message, which is there's just a, there's like a energy to truth and an energy to honesty. And I do think that we, that that is felt and that's not mm-hmm. under, not you know, understood by like we proved it out with the evidence, but the experience feels true and right. And yeah, I mean, just going back to it, that's, I think such a, that is such an, it's such a powerful thing that certainly symposium did. Um, you know, obviously the space program at, um, at like the daily sort of, weekly you know formulation of that it's cool man it's really cool i thank you for what you're doing it's cool
1: i appreciate it man um i I think uh i think we're on the right Uh, i mean i i should say i know that i'm kind of on the right path because it grows now it's like an organic uh mixture it's not out of control the people that need to get involved get involved with it um we have Deep and meaningful relationships with people after they come here. Most people come here multiple times to experience something like that. We also sometimes tell people not to come back, not because they're bad, but because they haven't done the work yet. And we don't want to see the same person back here. We want, and not that everybody needs to make a 180 degree change, but we, my thing is like, I want to teach people so that they will go out and learn and come back and teach me. Like that, that is the root of it for me. I like fast tracked amplified or exponential learning rates. And so if I can teach people how they can learn about themselves, they can learn about themselves better, faster, and among different people that comes back to me, you know, famously, uh, at least for for us, I've shared things with certain people and they come back and bring me these tidbits that are like, they're life changing, you know? And the only way I can be open to that is to continue to like be open to changing the process and, and sharing it with people like yourselves and your wife. Um, and that, that has been, you know, something I'll always be indebted for is like this opportunity that we got with whatever it is, this thing is, uh, business sure, but kind of like quasi wannabe cult following <laughs> kind of deal. So I appreciate you guys supporting. I, I mean, I could go on for, I could talk to you guys for forever, yeah. but, uh, we'll have to plan another one. And if there's something else useful, we can, uh, we mm-hmm. can plan it out.
0: Yeah, dude, that sounds great. That sounds great. Let's call it because we could definitely <laughs> we could definitely go down and keep going. I think my wife's probably also like, um, where are you? Um, <laughs> but yeah, appreciate it. So any kind of like, if the three people still still listening, no, I mean, like really? you know, like, but uh, any sort of things you want to draw people's you know attention and awareness and perhaps action towards.
1: Uh, if you're interested in finding more uh, our, our website has everything so it's a non nonprofit with a ph uh, dot media that has tons of free articles I mean there's hundreds on there there's some uh, there's obviously books and stuff that we publish and sell uh, manuals on fitness and also on philosophy. Uh, we have the space program that's also hosted on there that's like daily training concepts, philosophy, hundreds of videos, thousands of posts yada, yada yada. Uh, I think pretty much everything you'd would find would be there, um, and if you want to learn more, feel free to email me, and I can point you in the right direction. Depending.
0: Cool, man. Michael, it's been a uh, it's been a treat, dude. And uh, it's 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 painful to have to click stop recording, but I think <laughs> I think it's uh, it's what we got. It's what we got to do.
1: Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Well, let's do this again.
0: Yeah, dude.